Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where tour players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Two Under, Golf Pride, Strixon Cleveland Golf. Your best performance starts with the right golf ball. Sun Mountain Golf Bags. Finn Scooters, making the game more fun. Idel Golf. Hit it, flip it, dial it in. And the Mclemore Club Experience, live above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening and happy Masters Week, folks. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. This is my favorite golf week of the year. I had the privilege of being on property at Augusta National for the Augusta National Women's Amateur Final last Saturday. Congratulations to Anna Davis for her big win. She's 16 years old, folks, and what a tremendous young player. She went out there and shot a final round 69 to win the event. And Augusta National. Didn't make it easy on them. They played the traditional Sunday pin placements and had four birdies and a bogey, including birdies at 12 and 13, to hold off Ingrid Lindblad by a stroke. And Lindblad shot a final round 68, which included Eagles at 8 and 15. She's 21 years old, so I bet we're going to be seeing a lot of her out on the LPGA Tour very soon. Also, congratulations to former Augusta National Amateur Champion Jennifer Cupcho for winning her first LPGA tournament, which just happened to be a major, the Chevron Championship, formerly the Dinosaur Classic. She's only two years removed from her win at the inaugural ANWA tournament. How cool was it for her to win an LPGA major practically two years to the day from her big win there at Augusta National? Congratulations as well to J.J. Spahn for winning the Texas Valera Open and earning the final spot in this year's Masters field. Before we get into tonight's show, I want to thank all of you for making Next on the Tee a part of your weekly golf content and for continuing to vote for the show and the podcast magazine Hot 50 list. You've put us inside the top five for the April edition. We are now ranked inside the top 10 for the fifth month in a row. You also voted our football show Thursday Night Tailgate into the top 10. That show is now number nine. Folks, words cannot do justice for how grateful I am for all of your support. Please continue to vote by going online to podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot 50. You can vote for three of your favorite podcasts. I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee and Thursday Night Tailgate, two of them. Okay, on to tonight's show. And my first guest is going to be one of the top instructors in the game, plus the host of the Golf Kingdom TV show, Rob Strano. Rob grew up playing in the same country club as 1969 Masters champion Bob Golby. We'll hear what that was like for him and any wisdom that Mr. Golby might have shared with him along the way. We'll also hear Rob's experiences as a pro as the equipment went from persimmon woods and balata golf balls to metal woods and three-piece golf balls. Now we know up to five-piece golf balls with our friends over at TaylorMade. Also want to get his thoughts on Tiger Woods and his chances to win this week. Plus a playing lesson about what aim point is and how we can use it to make more putts. Looking forward to having Rob back on the show. He'll join me here in just a few minutes. 
Following him, I'll get a return visit from 21-time winner between the PGA and Champions Tours, John Cook. I'll talk with Cookie about his first appearance at Augusta National. He arrived there in 1979 as the reigning U.S. amateur champion. I'll ask him about what that was like, plus if he stayed in the crow's nest, and if there are any special rules to how you conduct yourself when you're staying there on property. And since John worked with Patrick Cantlay in the past, we'll get his thoughts on why Patrick is coming into this Masters under the radar, even after he was named the Player of the Year last year. So looking forward to having John back as part of the show. He'll join me about 20 minutes from now. And then we're going to round it out tonight with a visit from PGA Class A professional and the host of the Pro Show on ESPN Radio in New Jersey, Keith Stewart. Keith was kind enough to ask me to join him on his show last fall. So tonight I get to kind of turn the tables on him. I'll get his thoughts on Tiger's chances as well. Why Tiger seems to be the only one anybody is talking about heading into this week, despite several other players playing really well like Scotty Scheffler. We'll also talk about Jennifer Cupcho's big win at the Chevron Championship and Keith's transition from being a teaching professional to a radio host. He'll join me about 50 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the McLemore. My buddies and I were there last year for our annual golf trip, and it was so amazing. We're going back again this year. Everything about the place is first class. We had great accommodations. The practice facility is wonderful. The on-premise restaurant called The Craig has outstanding food and service, and the course lived up to every great expectation that we had for it. I can't say enough great things about the place, folks. Go online to themaclemore.com to see for yourself how spectacular it is. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. Our friend and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. Golf Digest agreed, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000, and Lynx Magazine doubled down on that making it one of the top 10 finishing holes in all of golf. See why we're all bragging about the place by going online to themaclemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade. Golf's an interesting game because the better you hit the ball, the fewer shots you have to hit. That means the better you hit the ball, the less golf you actually have to play. That's why TaylorMade made the all-new Stealth Irons. TaylorMade Stealth Irons feature a cat-back design with a 3D toe wrap designed to help deliver increased distance through the bag and more forgiveness on those occasional or not-so-occasional less-than-perfect shots. The result? Better shots more often, so you get to have more fun more often. So if you're the kind of golfer who wants to play less golf more often, try the all-new Stealth Irons from TaylorMade. Beyond Driven. Okay, now back in making it a baker's dozen times is one of the top instructors in the game and the host of the Golf Kingdom TV show, Rob Strano. You can watch The Golf Kingdom on Amazon Fire TV, Blab TV, Roku, and Rob's YouTube channel. Rob's from St. Louis, Missouri as a junior player in the St. Louis district. He won the individual low-stroke average trophy and the individual total points trophy in 1981. Played his college golf at Centenary College in Louisiana. He's played out on the PGA, Corn Ferry, and Hooters NGA Tours for 15 years, and he won there five times. Rob is annually recognized by U.S. Kids as one of their top instructors. Plus, he is one of the few teaching the game to deaf children. Rob has his Strano Golf Academy at Kelly Plantation in Destin, Florida. He's a great friend, and I'm honored to have him back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Happy Masters Week, Rob. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. And, you know, it may be a Christmas song, Chris, but 
All I can hear right now is what you said earlier. It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> I mean, I got, I'm sorry for singing. I've been told not to sing, but it is. It's a great week, and it's a little bit of a mixed emotion week for me this time, uh, more so than any other year, because a couple of months ago, we did lose a very close friend of mine, the 1968 Masters champion, Bob Goldie, and I've, I've known him since I was six years old, and, um, you know, I've got some great memories of spending time with him at St. Clair Clutch. St. Clair Country Club, my home course in Illinois, and then, of course, at the Masters in 2019. And it's just, you know, the first time in all those years that he hasn't been at the Champions Dinner. And one of the great storytellers and, and just um, someone who was a big mentor to me in the game. And so I've just got the mixed emotions of he's just not there this year. And it's just, it's just a, a guy who wore the green jacket so proudly and just honored all the traditions of the Masters. Um, I, I know he's looking down on the event, as all the other past champions are, um, and just going to enjoy it from a different seat this year. Rob, I've gotten my dander up a bit because people on social media either don't know or don't understand how great the players were on tour prior to when <clears throat> Tiger showed up back in 1997. And as you say, you're very close to Mr. Golby. And having won the Masters back in 68, he won 11 times out on the PGA Tour, finished second in the U.S. Open in 61, second in the PGA in 62. Just talk about what a great player and great mentor he was for you. Growing up where I did with four tour players there, Mr. Goldie, Jay Haas, Jerry Haas, Frank Connor, all older than me and being able to serve them, I got to see some great golf just as a, a, a another person in, in the circle of players that are course and to watch him up close and to see just how great an athletic he was. He was long before you had length. I mean, he was known as one of the longest guys on tour and would hit the ball, you know, at Augusta on the, the range they had at the time. He would fly into the net there at the end of the range to keep the ball from going into Washington Road all the time before they built the new practice facility. But, you know, you look back at his career and the guys that he played with. And Ben Hogan, Mr. Hogan was one of his good friends when Mr. Hogan, you know, was very, very choosy in who he collaborated with on tour. And I, I love the story he tells about when they played the U.S. Open at Olympic in the mid-60s. And Mr. Hogan said, hey, hey, Bob, how about a practice round? He said, I'd love to. And so they played, and he got up on the first team. There were people everywhere, and he hit a bunch of hooks that day. He didn't play very good. They got done. He's like, boy, I'm glad that's over with. And Mr. Hogan took his hand and said, hey, same time tomorrow? And he said, sure, I'd love to play again. So he played He played with me. He said he, said he played terrible in both practice rounds and then finished like ninth or 10th at Olympic that year. I think it was 66, maybe. Um, but, you know, Hogan looked, had to look at the scores and go, how did Goldie beat me? Well, that's just how great a player he was. When the bell rang, his, he was he was a gamer, and, and he knew how to play the game of golf. and. And this was a great all-around athlete, football, all the sports he played. You know, he was a quarterback. So he's, he's a gamer, and when the bell rang, he was ready to go. Rob, was there any advice that Mr. Goby shared with you that uh, you took into your career and maybe you even look back on to this day? Oh, wow. Um, I'm trying to think of what some of the best advice was. You know, I learned a lot from observation with him. Um, you know, one, one of my favorite stories I tell about Mr. Goby was, I was practicing one day, and he and Jerry went out to play, and they said, hey, come on and join us. And I joined him, and we 
got around to the 13th hole, and the 13th hole is a really cool par three in our course. It's, it's a perched green, and it's dead right and dead left. It's big slopes. And it's a narrow green, and there were bunkers on either side, and I hid in the bunker on the left, and, and, the, and the green's eyeball high. And so you got to flip it out of there. And I flipped one out of there about 10 feet. It wasn't a great bunker shot, but the members were known to get in one bunker and go to the other one and hit it down the hill into 18 fairway. And I had a little 10-footer, and I knocked it in, and I grabbed my ball, and I went over and just leaned on my putter watching Jerry putt. And all of a sudden, this big shadow came over my shoulder. And I looked up at him, and he said, darn fine save, young man. So, you know, stuff like that, you know, it makes your, your heart get bigger and you stand a little taller when a Masters champion recognizes you for what's a really significant play in golf. And, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that I remember, you know, getting from him was get out there, pay your dues, and get your head kicked in because it'll only make you stronger and make you tougher. And that's, you know, that's something I always live by. You know, golf's tough, game's tough, and you just got to get up every day and keep fighting, and you're going to get your teeth kicked in by these guys, but don't ever doubt yourself and just keep going. Rob, as we look ahead to this year's Masters Tournament, before we talk about who you like this week and uh, what you're looking forward to seeing, let's talk about Masters Past. Is there a favorite memory? Is there a favorite year that uh, you like to go back this time of year and rewatch? Um, that's a good question. You know, you know, one of my favorite ones is kind of obvious is 86, with, with Mr. Nicholas winning. Um when I, when I went home for Mr. Govey's memorial service, I watched the 68 Masters, which is the one that he won. And um, I've probably watched it 10 times. And I pick up on different things every time because I almost live vicariously through that event because I knew him. So I watch, I can kind of feel and think what he's doing. And um, and I pick up something new every time. Like I, I picked up, which what interesting thing when I watched it on the flight to St. Louis was, after making eagle on 15 and hitting the three iron in there, which Bobby Jones at the time called one of the greatest long irons he had ever witnessed, um, he walks to the 16th tee and he stops at the ball washer and washes his golf ball. And I'd never noticed that before. And it's just such an odd, quirky thing to see because you don't see ball washers on golf courses anymore. And you certainly <laughs> don't see him at Augusta National. But he stops and he washes his golf ball and he goes on to the 16th tee. But I enjoy watching that one because it's a vicarious experience for me, um, having known the man so well. Um, you know, 86 is a good one. Um, 2019, I love watching that one because I was at that event. You and I were both there um, right. to meet Mr. Golby at that event. And um, I, I was around Tiger on that Monday. I was very close to him. And, you know, so that one, once again, is kind of a vicarious one. And then the other one I watched is 78, which was my first ever Masters, which was the one won by Gary Player. And um, I enjoyed watching that one because I was there for the final round of that. And I remember some of what I saw and heard. Rob, switching gears a little bit, as you were growing in the game, you saw the transition, the equipment transition from persimmon woods and balada golf balls to metal woods and three-piece golf balls, and the ball, golf ball continues to evolve each and every year as, as does equipment. But I wanted to get your thoughts. Going back and looking at what what it was like for you growing up in the game and the equipment you used there and to what we have now, how drastic is the difference? I I personally think it's, it's drastic in, in, a, in one odd way in that when you talk drivers, 
you search for the certain club, the look of it, the grain had to be just right. It was a certain insert. And when you found that, it became a favorite friend. I had a, a persimmon driver that I used for about four or five years, and it got a little crack in the neck. And I was panic-stricken because I had two backups that were virtually the same club, but they weren't. And so I remember taking the trick with a, a crack in a driver was you took fingernail polish, clear fingernail polish, and you kept coating it to try to seal the crack. And it, it, it didn't never, it never failed me, but boy, I was panicked. But you search for that perfect driver. Now they're just stamped out of a machine and the, there's no differentiation between them. So you've lost that, that personal kind of fun part of the game where you, the clubs were almost friends and family members. Um, <laughs> and now it's, it's, they're, they're hot. They're all hot. They're all the same. And so you've lost a little bit of that, that nuance of the game. And of course, the golf balls we talk about, the things that the the kids and the, the college kids and the young tour players don't know about when you had a ball, you changed it every three holes because you knocked the dang thing out around. And, you know, and you could curve it 40 yards. Um, now, it, it, you know, you can still curve it, but you've got to really work to do it. Back then, you did it, hitting those low risers that would go tensing off the ground and go straight up like a jet, you know. You could do all kinds of crazy things with those golf balls. So there's been a lot of nuance lost, lost in that stuff. Um, we can call it the shot making. I don't know if it's better or worse because the game's in a really great spot right now. It is what it is, and it's just a, a, an era that's gone by, and it's just fun to plot those old clubs and look at them periodically. Rob, we haven't talked since the whole Phil Mickelson Saudi League thing exploded. Want to get your thoughts on the price that Phil paid. Is it appropriate? Too steep? What are your thoughts about how that whole thing transpired and went down? I think that's the craziest thing I've seen in a long time. And, and it's amazing. I looked at the champion dinner picture last night at Augusta, and I, I, I named all the players, and I went, wait a second. Nicholson's out there. He skipped the champion's dinner. He didn't even go. So yeah. whatever's going on, and I don't claim to know Anything, nothing, zero, less than zero. Whatever's going on, there's some interesting, you know, purgatory he's in right now that he is invisible in golf. When was the last time you had a guy that could physically play the Masters that wasn't there, that was a past champion, that wasn't even there for the dinner? So, you know, the... The, whole, the way the whole thing played out and the way it was introduced is just very interesting. Um, I, I don't know what more to say to it. It's, it's the biting the hand that feeds you and kind of forgetting what, what the role of things are here. I always tell players, young tour players, this simple message. And, and the veterans like John Cook following me, you know, big night for him following me on the show. I know. I know he's going to do well, but, you know, I know the pressure's on him to follow me. really but, is. But, you know, what is the PGA Tour? It's a traveling circus of entertainers. And our job is to come to town, to show off our game, and the perks are we get paid to do it. But it's about raising charity, raising money for local charity. And, and the people in the community go, you know what? 
we think we can raise a lot of money by doing this, and we're going to devote our time and get volunteers that will give their time to to bring in this event for a week with this traveling circus and and entertain the local people and make some money for our charity. And that's our only role. And the fact that we can make a career out of it and make money at it and and fame now, um, we the players have kind of lost that little bit of a mindset. And I really really drive that home to the players I coach. That's that's your your role. And yes, we want to play well and win and compete, but that's what it is. I think Phil Phil's lost in the maze of that also. He's, he's there to entertain, and that's what you want to do. Rob, one more before I let you go, and you do a great job on your show, The Golf Kingdom, of giving us some simple tips in your KISS segment. Keep it simple, Strano. What is a simple tip that we can share with the audience tonight that can help us improve our game, take a stroke or two off? Simple setup one. Something I seem to fix, I fixed it twice today in two new students, is players setting up the ball poorly. If you can't set up correctly, it's hard to make a good athletic move. I'm going to give you a simple thought. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question, Chris. Okay, uh-huh. real simple. I ask this every lesson. Okay, you ready? Yep. When you set up, when you set up, are you facing the golf ball when you set up to hit it? Yes. Yes or no? Yes. No. Not. No. I'm not facing no, the golf not. ball. No. You are facing behind the ball. Ball is left of center for every club you hit. Therefore, your belt buckle. Your sternum, your buttons on your shirt are facing behind the ball. With driver, the driver is, I'm going to say, depends on the size of the person and everything. The driver is a foot ahead of where a short iron may be. Maybe not a foot, but it's ahead. And players will face the driver. They will turn their chest and belt buckle and face the ball. Therefore, they are wide open and they're wondering, why do I slice it? I feel like I swing good because you're wide open. Players out there, keep it simple, Strano. Kiss, get your belt <laughs> buckle. Get your button facing behind the ball. Get your grout, your grout on your tile floor. Get that checkerboard. Get set up and go, okay, this line coming towards me, it's going to go on my left heel. That's where the driver ball position is. There's my stance width, and I better not be facing where the club is touching that grout line. I better be facing behind it. Do that. Commit to that, and I bet you'll get rid of that's twice. There you go. Rob, before I let you go, I got to get a couple of picks from you for this weekend. Who do you like? Chris, I've got this envelope here. It's, it's been hermetically sealed on Funk and Wagner's porch since noon today. <laughs> no one yet, no one knows the contents of this envelope except me, and it is my master's pick. So now I will reveal to the world Ooh. the winners this year. They, they, okay. They, 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 one of these two guys will win. You ready? Here we go. Yep. I'm opening the envelope. I'm pulling out the card. It says this. The American, if an American wins, it will be Gary Woodland. If wow. it's an international, if it's an international, which I truly strongly believe it will be, it will be Shane Lowry. Wow. I would have go. not expected you to go either one of those directions with a, uh, with a U.S. player and an international player. But, uh, I always, I always pick one of them. Oh, both of those guys. Yep. I mean, Woodland's been, been solid. Should have won at Bay Hill except for the flub bunker shot on 17. Then right there, he's won a major. Um, I watched him on the putting green the Monday 
after he messed up at Bay Hill and, and given that one kind of kind of away. And he was on the putting green. Putting stroke looked good. He was making putts. It looked he looked unfazed. And he's he's a little bit of a dark horse, but he can move it out there. And St. Lowry's been great all year. And so I I, I there's my guy. All right, we'll see how you do. We'll follow up after uh, the show and after the tournament to see how those picks work out. Rob, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing. Watch your TV show and follow you on social media. StranoGolf.com. That's the website. Everything's there. Social media, obviously, Rob Strano, Strano Golf. And the Golf Kingdom TV show is on social media everywhere. You can tune in via the Golf Kingdom app. Download it from the App Store. All the shows are there. I have a daily feed. Where I put up all kinds of stuff. Um, and then the show is also on mainly Roku, Vimeo, and uh, on Amazon Fire TV. So the show's there. It's the number one golf variety show. We have a lot of fun. Um, we teach with a lot of skits and props. And it's, it's a blast, and I love doing it and hosting it. Rob, you're the best, my friend. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. We'll see how your picks do. But I look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Always good talking to you, my friend, and thanks again for having me. You bet. Take care, Rob. All the best to you and your family. Thanks, Chris. That is the great Rob Strano. Rob Strano Golf. StranoGolf.com is the website. You can follow him on Twitter, Instagram, and again, the, the Golf Kingdom is a funny show. Rob, Rob's a, you know, is a card and, and he makes the show fun to watch, makes you laugh, and, but along the way, you're learning a bunch. Again, they, they keep it simple Strano segment. It's something really quick that's going to make a difference in your golf game. He throws those out there every week, but his instructional and his build segments and all of those sorts of things, you have fun. And then along the way, you say to yourself, you know what? That's going to work. And you go out and you practice it. And then the stuff that he provides you actually makes a uh, marketable difference in your golf score. So always fun having Rob as part of the show. I look forward to catching up with him again soon. Before I get to my next guest, John Cook, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Strixon Cleveland Golf. Your best performance starts with the right golf ball at Strixon. A global leader in golf ball technology and innovation, Strixon offers a wide variety of award-winning golf balls for golfers of every skill level. Whether you're searching for a tour performance golf ball or a distance golf ball with incredible feel, Strixon provides the best golf balls at incredible prices. Strixon offers a wide variety of personalized options, while also developing a highly visible colored golf ball as well. Select the right golf ball for your game today and trust it with Shrixon. Check them out online at Shrixon.com. S-R-I-X-O-N.com. Find the right golf ball for your game today. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Sun Mountain. There's a company nestled in the Valley of Missoula, Montana, that embodies the essence of quality, function, and innovation, and that's Sun Mountain which started building golf bags back in 1981. They are an industry leader in golf bags, travel covers, outerwear, and push carts. With flagship products that you've come to know, like the C-130 cart bag, the 2.5 ultralight stand bag, the club glider travel cover, the speed cart, and Rainflex rain gear. Sun Mountain continues its quest to provide the very best in golf products to every range of golfer. Visit them online at sunmountaingolf.com to look at their amazing products. Okay, now back with me is Champions Tour Pro and Sirius XM radio host, John Cook. Let me remind you about John's background. He's from Toledo, Ohio, but grew up in Southern California. 
He went back and played his college golf at Ohio State, where he was a three-time All-American. He helped them win three consecutive Big Ten titles from 1977 to 1979 and the 1979 National Championship. John won six individual titles while he was there at Ohio State. He also won the Les Bolstead Award for the lowest stroke average in the conference each year from 1977 to 1979, and he was inducted into the Ohio State Hall of Fame in 1986. John won the U.S. Amateur Championship in 1978 and finished second to Marco Mira in 79. He also won several amateur championships, including the California State Am in 1975 and the Ohio Amateur in 1978 and 79. He turned pro later on that year in 79, got his first win on the PGA Tour in 1981 at the Bing Crosby National Pro-Am by beating Hale Irwin, Bobby Clampett, Ben Crenshaw, and Barney Thompson in a playoff. He won again in 1983 at the Canadian Open, this time beating Johnny Miller in a playoff. In all, John won 11 times on the PGA Tour and 10 more times out on the Champions Tour. He has seven top 10 finishes in majors. He was named the 1992 PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year. In 2013, he was inducted into the Southern California Golf Association's Hall of Fame. And I am very excited. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Cookie, how are you? I'm good, Chris. How are you? I feel the pressure following Rob there. Of course. That's a tough act to follow, my friend. That ain't easy. <laughs> yes, it is. No, it's not. He was uh, very entertaining. As always. John, I want to start out by going back when you first joined the PGA Tour. Celebrities were big hosts of many tournaments. We had the Bing Crosby National Pro-Am, the Glen Campbell LA Open, the Jackie Gleason Inverary Classic. Sammy Davis Jr. was the host at the Greater Hartford Open, and there were several others. Did you get to know those guys and go out there and play golf with them when you were out there for those events? Uh, actually, I didn't get to play with uh, any of the uh, actual uh, names of the tournament um, hosts, but certainly played in all of them, especially on the West Coast. We had uh, Glenn Campbell, who I didn't play with in that particular tournament, but I played with him a couple times. Um, of course, Bing Crosby, you know, Pebble Beach Pro-Am. You had the Bob Hope. Played with Bob Hope a couple of times. Um, Andy Williams had the San Diego Open. Joe Garagiola had Tucson. I mean, it was it was a different era for sure, and it was a lot of fun to be around when uh, you know those big stars were were out supporting the game of golf. It was really a a good a, a great era to grow up in. Did you get to spend time with them like after a tournament, maybe after a round or? before or after a golf tournament. I, I just sort of wondering as you guys, you know, finish up a round of golf and you're in one of these celebrity sponsored events or hosted events, being able to have a drink, sit down and just listen to their story. Well, a couple of times, you know, my, my uh, amateur partner at the Crosby there for a number of years was uh, James Garner, Jim Garner, the great actor. Uh, so we did spend quite a bit of time together and played a few more times at Bel Air, his home course. So, Got some, you know, time to spend with, with him and, um, you know, just other kind of people down the road that really enjoyed the game of golf. A lot of, a lot of athletes, a lot of, you know, baseball players, basketball players, um, played a little bit, uh, with Jerry West when I was young and in high school, um, which was all, was, was fascinating. And then, of course, uh, spent a lot of time around, uh, Eddie Van Halen, who had taken up the wow. game and played a lot of golf with him and, and, we talked, you know, we talked music, we talked golf, we talked life. It was a lot of fun. And, 
you know, just kind of when you get to mix and mingle, you know, different genres and different uh, professions, uh, it's fascinating. It really is. What was Eddie's game like? You know, Ed took it serious. He, um, he, he started kind of late in life and he took it. I mean, the first time uh, my wife and I went and saw a show was in 1993 up at, uh, um, up in San Francisco and a friend of mine had gotten us some tickets and some backstage passes. So we went back after, uh, the show and, you know, it was an amazing show, obviously. And we were always been big fans. So to get backstage and just say hello, well, Ed had just started playing golf and he, all he wanted to talk about was his golf swing and his golf game. And all we wanted to talk about was what a great show it was and how much fun we had. And, um, <laughs> he, he got into it pretty big time. So we played, uh, Lakeside a few times together. He was a member there. And then whenever they were out on tour, it seemed like for a couple of years, PGA tour and their, um, you know, world tour, we all kind of coincided. So, uh, we got to spend a lot of time. He, he was great to my family, great to my friends. Um, had him out to Isleworth a couple of times to play. And, uh, it was just, he just, uh, he, he was, he's such an, I mean, he's so great at what he did and he wanted to be good at what, you know, in the game of golf, he wanted to know everything. And, you know, he didn't read music, so he just played guitar and in golf, he just wanted to play golf. He didn't want to know about the swing or anything. He just wanted to play golf. So, uh, he took golf, uh, just like he took up, you know, took guitar, just didn't just, you know, played by feel. John, switching gears as we look ahead to this week's Masters Tournament. Am I correct in saying 1979 was your first Masters Tournament? It was. I was an amateur. I played uh, as a U.S. amateur champion from 1978. Uh, so um, I did. I played as an amateur. My my pairing was uh, Gary Player in the first round. What was that like? I, I knew Gary a, a little bit. Uh, his son Wayne had played some uh, uh, amateur events in the U.S. the previous couple of years. So had gotten to know Wayne a little bit um, and then got to know Gary a, a little bit. So uh, I, I didn't just meet him on the first tee. I, I had met him before. So I was quite comfortable. He was great. Uh, he was very accommodating. He was a great gentleman. Uh, he had won the previous year, so it wasn't like, uh, you know, he wasn't competitive at all. So uh, I remember it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful um Experience. I played my practice rounds with uh, Ken Venturi, uh, Tom Weiskopf, and Ed Snead. Uh, so it was uh, quite a quite a learning experience from from especially Kenny and Tom. And then Ed Snead went on and actually had a really good chance to win. Uh, he got beaten the playoff that year uh, with Fuzzy Zeller. So um, it was uh, you know just great being around it. And John, as the amateur champion, I know that you know that the invitation to play in the Masters is coming. But what was it like when you go to the mailbox and that invitation sitting in there? It was there. It was there. It was it was quite a thrill. That is for sure. It uh, went to my mom and dad's house uh, there in Columbus. I was I was still in school. Um, so when that uh, when that invitation actually arrived, it was uh, it was just amazing. Uh, I. You know you're going, and you know everything about it. But when you get that invitation, and it's for real, uh, it was you know just amazing. The the whole week was amazing to me. The the experience, and you know how the the Masters Committee 
uh, treated the amateurs. They, they, they really, really wanted an amateur to do well and to win. And we were quite representative. We had, you know, Bobby Clampett, myself, uh, Scott Hope was playing. I mean, it, it was, uh, we were well represented. I think all of us made the cut. Um, so, um, it, it was, it was a great, uh, I, I'm, I remember a lot about it. Um, Bobby Jones had already passed and, and um, uh, Clifford Roberts had passed. So I think Bill Lane might have been the uh, chairman at that time. Uh, but they, uh, they hosted a great amateur dinner. It was, uh, just a, a great experience. Did you guys all stay up in the crow's nest? I did one night. Uh, I did the night I arrived, I arrived on a Saturday night. Um, and I stayed in the crow's nest. Bobby Clampett and I stayed together and then, uh, my family had rented a house, so I ended up staying at, uh, at, at the house, uh, starting on Sunday as I was playing, you know, practice rounds, the par three. And, um, I just wanted to be with, uh, family and my, my, uh, my newly engaged, actually still married to this day, but, uh, I had just proposed to my, my wife, Jan, uh, the weekend before. So it was pretty fun. For all of us that'll never know the feeling, and you and you've done this several times, but what's it like turning off Washington Road and driving up Magnolia Lane? <laughs> it was, I mean, it was something that you, I mean, you had seen on television, you'd heard about it, but when you're actually in the car and driving up there, and it's real, it, it was real. I had never been on the property until, you know, that time, and you know, just looking, you know. You know, on one side of Magnolia Lane and then the other, that's where the tournament practice area was, uh, on both sides of Magnolia Lane back in those days. So, um, I mean, you could see the tournament practice area, then you, you, you go up a little bit further and you see the clubhouse, you see the iconic, uh, United States with the, you know, the Augusta colors and, and the flag. And it, it just, uh, it was really surreal. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. It just, uh, it's something I'll never forget. Where does that tournament rank for you amongst your favorite events to play? Well, I'll tell you, to be quite honest, I, I love the event maybe more than it loved me. That is for sure. I, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to know everything about it. I wanted, you know, my practice rounds, the first times around there were, you know, like I said, with Ken, Tom Weiskopf, and I learned so much. And throughout the years, I always felt that my game was peaking. Just at the right time, I thought my game fit Augusta. I was a good putter. I was a good ball striker. I could drive it, you know, long enough, but I could turn the ball. I could use slope. And I, I promise you, I was so geeked to play every single year that by the time Thursday came around, I had practiced and prepared myself right out of form. And I just, I, I couldn't quite get it done. My record around there is just abysmal. Um, except for 87, I led after the first round and I think I was tied after the second round. Um, and then, you know, I still had a chance going into Sunday. Uh, but other than that, honestly, I mean, I made some cuts. I missed a bunch of cuts by a shot. I never contended and I don't know why. I think I just, uh, um, I don't, I, it just, I over, I over prepared myself. And by the time Thursday came along, I was, I was spent. You can't you can't go around Augusta National with no brain, and I I kind of I would lose my brain between Wednesday and Thursday. <laughs> John, as we've talked in the past, you've worked with Patrick Cantlay. He had such a great year in 21, winning four times, including the 
Tour Championship and being named Player of the Year. But it feels like he's already being overlooked this week. How do you feel about you know, Patrick's opportunity to win this Masters? You know, it's funny you ask that. I, just a little while ago, I was I was uh, messaging back and forth with you know his coach Jamie Mulligan, who's a great friend of mine, and you know my eyes and we've helped uh, Patrick and Luke List actually is also playing one of our guys. But I was I was telling Jamie, I go, doesn't it feel like Patrick kind of under the for Pat for the player of the year to be under the radar going into the masters, he's as under the radar as you could be. And I went, I think that's good for him. And Jamie went, absolutely. <laughs> so I think, I think Patrick is in a good spot. He's had a really nice uh, start to the year um, after taking all of the fall and, and winter off. Uh, he came back very, very strong. And it's, you know, kind of playing himself, playing himself into form. He didn't have a very good players, but he kind of got caught on the, on the wrong side of the draw. Um, but, uh, I, I, I see Patrick having a good week. He loves Augusta. He's learning more. Uh, he knows now, you know, exactly what you need to do around there. And that's not overshape the ball. It's just to use slope, um, to control, you know, the, the shape of your golf shots to go in properly. He's a phenomenal putter, great short game, drives it forever. Uh, his game fits around there. John, I remember Mr. Palmer saying of Jack Nicholas's win in 86 at the age of 46 that he thought a player at 56, which is how old Mr. Palmer was at the time, could still win a golf tournament. You just have to get it all together one time, he said. And we saw Phil win yeah. the, the PGA at 50 last year, and most people don't know that Sam Snead finished third in the 74 PGA, three back at Lee Trevino when Mr. Snead was 60 years old, and we all know Tom Watson nearly won an Open Championship at 59, and with how fit the players are today. Could we see more of the guys that are out there playing on tour now contending at 55 or 60 years old? I think if, if they, they, they kept their length, like a Retief Goosen or an Ernie Els, uh, Phil, of course. Um, I think those players that have kept their length, uh, could certainly contend around there. Fred, you know, Fred's in his sixties now. He still has adequate length. Um, he just doesn't play a lot anymore. So I'm not sure how sharp he is as far as, you know, his competitiveness goes, but he certainly played well into his fifties around Augusta because he knew what to do. He, 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 he knows how to use slope. He has a great imagination. Hit the correct shots, you know, cuts, fades, um, little dinky draws, whatever needs to be done. And he's kept his length. So if you get a guy like a Ratif Goosen, um, an Ernie Ells, if they ever got, you know, back and eligible to play, yeah, they could probably do that. Bernhard, is, as great as he is, uh, just doesn't have the length to uh, contend. Uh, possibly, you know, make the cut. I mean, though, at 64 years old, I mean, that would be quite a feat. But uh, if you've kept your length and you've kept your flexibility and mobility, I think that uh, there's no reason that, you know, someone in their 50s can't uh, contend. John, just a couple more before I let you go. And I was looking back at the 1990 Las Vegas Invitational. You finished tied at the end of regulation, if you were at the end of 72 holes with Bob Tway. The two of you go into a playoff, and it was one of the craziest finishes in a playoff <laughs> I've ever seen. I mean, you nearly won the thing, 
and then lost it in unbelievable fashion. Talk about what happened yeah. on the first sudden death hole. It's crazy. It really is. So, uh, first playoff hole, uh, forget what hole it was, but I, I, I think I hit first and I tugged my tee shot just in the left rough, but I was like stymied by a tree. Uh, Bob hit his tee shot down the middle. I pitched mine out. He hit his shot. You know, not a very good shot. He hit it on there about 40 feet from the hole. And I said, well, if I get this up and down, I think we could probably go and, you know, get into another hole in the playoff. And I flew my wedge shot into the hole and it backed up down off the green, down this hill into a horrible lie in the rough. Um, and I didn't, I didn't make that. So I ended up making a bogey and Bob two putted for par. So I went from, you know, maybe holding the shot to win to, uh, shaking hands and walking off. I'm, you know, <laughs> dis- disgusted with what happened. <laughs> Did you see it fly into the hole? I did, yeah. I knew it was going. I knew it was going to be close, and I, I, I thought to myself, I said, "Just don't hit the flag stick." And sure enough, it flew in the hole, and uh, came out and up the flag stick. It had so much spin on it; it just was out of control. John, the U.S. Amateur used to be a major. It was back in the day. Bobby Jones, when he played, it was a major. I still think it should be a major. For all of the talk about the players being the fifth major, I think it should be the U.S. Amateur for the grind you go through in order to win it. You won it once, nearly a second time the following year. Talk about what it's like to make your way through all of the rounds that you have to go through in order to win that championship. Yeah, it's it's an amazing event. Um, I, I qualified when I was 16 uh, to play at Ridgewood in New Jersey, uh, where it is actually this year again. So. It'll be nice to get back there, but, um, it just, it was one of those, one of those weeks that, I mean, you knew you had to have stamina number one. Your game had to be in tip top shape. Uh, you know, at match play, you still, I, I always approach match play a lot like metal play until I needed to play match play. I wanted to beat the golf course. So I was, I was training to beat the golf course. So. That run in 78, I had, uh, I played as good a golf as I could possibly play. Um, and, you know, got all the way through beating Scott Hoke in the final. And then the next year, there was two rounds of medal play and I played very well. I think I was maybe third or fourth medal. And then, um, you know, got into the match play again. And I'll tell you the, the grind that we had. I, my matches, I beat Robert Wren, tour player in the first round. I beat Wayne Player, who was very competitive on the, the amateur circuit that summer. Then I beat Lenny Clements, tour player, um, in 26 holes. And then in the wow. afternoon, I beat Gary Hallberg, tour player, <laughs> um, in the, in the quarters. Then I beat, uh, Cecil Ingram in the semis. And then I had no gas in the tank left against Mark, <laughs> who, of course, you know, a Hall of Famer. So. Uh, talk about the grind. I mean, you look down the, the, the field list for the U.S. amateur and you either see, you know, players that, you know, are, are going to be superstars or in our case, if you went through the 78 field and the 79 field, um, there's Hall of Famers, there's tour players, you know, m- major championship winners. Um, and that, I mean, that, that's what you're up against in the U.S. amateur. John, my next guest is Keith Stewart, a guy you played a little bit of golf with back in the day. He's got a John Cook titleist putter that you gave him all the way back in 2000. 
I wanted to remind you of that and see if you remember playing a little bit of golf with Keith. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I remember uh, it was a uh, it was my backup that Scotty had made me uh, of an old Coronado um, model, and it was stainless steel. So it it wasn't uh, you know it, it was a kind of a, a a different kind of model head, and I still have the original one um, that I have, and every once in a while I'll mess around with. But the one that he has, yeah, was was my backup, and I didn't need it anymore. So I knew that the one that I had in my bag wasn't going to go anywhere. So I just, I, I let him have it. <laughs> there you go. There you I go. saw a picture of it the other day that you sent. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. What a treasure that's got to be. John, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. Let our listeners know how they can stay up to date, see you and where you're going to be, and then follow you on social media. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so I am you know, doing a lot of work for Golf Channel. I'm, uh, I'll be a uh, lead analyst. Uh, next week, actually, at the Western Intercollegiate at Posse Tiempo. Um, and then I'm doing a, a lot of PGA Tour work, some uh, PGA Tour champions work for Golf Channel. Um, and then I'll be doing the NCAAs at the end of May, 1st of June, uh, on Golf Channel. Then, uh, of course, I still do some work with Craig Can, uh, on Sirius XM, uh, PGA Tour radio on Tuesday evenings. Um, you can always tune into that. I, I, I sit for a segment or two and then, um, Twitter, you can get, catch me at, uh, John Cook Golf. And then, uh, on, uh, Instagram, it's, uh, John, uh, JN Cook OSU. Of course, gotta throw the OSU in there. Absolutely. Um, so you can follow me on that as well. <laughs> John, fun. it's always a thrill having you as part of the show. I can't thank you enough. You're fantastic, my friend. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again soon. For you, Chris, anytime, just give me a call. I'm always available. I appreciate you very much, Cookie. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. I appreciate it. You too. You as well. Thank you. Thanks, John. That's a great John Cook. John Cook Golf on, uh, on Twitter and John Cook OSU on, uh, on, uh, Instagram. What a wonderful man. That's, you know, when I, uh, have the privilege of talking to somebody like John, and uh, we spend, and this is the fourth time he has uh, been gracious enough to come on the show. I'm always left thinking that very thought. What a wonderful human being John Cook is. And uh, as great as his uh, career was on the regular tour and the Champions Tour and, and doing Sir- Sirius XM Radio and on the Golf Channel, he's just a 10 times better person than he was a golf player. And he was a great golf player. And uh, and he's made the transition over to being a, a wonderful analyst and broadcaster as well but a finer human being you will not find and i can't thank him enough for being gracious with his time tonight and uh, coming back is and uh, being a part of the show and i always look for i'm already looking forward to time number five that's the bottom line okay before i get to my next guest keith stewart i want to talk to you about our friends over at adele golf have you been custom fit for your putter or even for your wedges Adele Golf is the industry leader in scoring club fitting. Their putter fitting system is the most complete putter fitting system in golf. The EAS line of putters can get your putting dialed in. Also check out their swing match system wedges with weight adjustability to make sure your wedges are truly fit to your swing. Go to AdeleGolf.com and schedule your fitting today. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? 
Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented Squares toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com, get the Squares 30-day money-back guarantee, and use promo code DISTANCE to get $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. Squares, the distance golf shoe. Okay, now joining me is the host of the pro show, Keith Stewart. Keith is also a Class A teaching professional. Back in 2016, he was presented with the Horton Smith Award by the New Jersey PGA section, which is given annually to the PGA professional who is the model educator for PGA golf professional. In 2019, he was named the section's PGA professional of the year. And in 2020, he was recognized with the Bill Strasbaugh Award for being a PGA professional who displays outstanding integrity, character, and leadership. You can listen to Key Show on ESPN Radio AM 920 up in New Jersey or online at 920ESPNNewJersey.com. It's also available as a podcast on just about every major podcasting site and app. He's recently started a new venture called Read the Line, which we're going to talk about here in just a minute, where he shares his insights that are spot on. And if you follow his weekly tournament picks, you're going to be putting some extra cash in your pockets. And it's a privilege to have him with me here tonight on Next on the T. Hey, Keith, how are you, my friend? Oh, Chris, I'm doing great. So happy to be with you this evening. And uh, what better week than Masters Week? Absolutely right about that. And Keith, I want to jump in. Like I mentioned a moment ago, your latest venture, Read the Line. Gaming is becoming such a big part of all of sports now. It used to be taboo, but now it's embedded within within golf, within the NFL, within Major League Baseball. Um, talk about Read the Line and what you do. Well, it's funny. You know, you mentioned the taboo part, but all golfers bet, it seems like. You know, closest to the pin for a dollar or let's play this Nassau. And then all of a sudden it turned into sports betting and, and folks were kind of confused about, you know, where that came from. But really betting is part of the fabric of the game when you think about it. And as a PGA professional, I was looking for ways to grow the game, to entertain people, to engage them. And I, I just looked at the sports betting marketplace and I created a company called Read the Line. And I write a weekly newsletter. It's interactive. There's videos. There's interviews. There's all sorts of fun things in there. And I send it out to my subscribers every Wednesday. So it went out today for Masters Week. And I cover the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour. And I make predictions. And people have a lot of fun with it. And and you've been nice enough to say already. But um, we've been winning. We've been doing pretty good. On your site, and again, readtheline.com, you talk about how your selections are based on swings and science, not emotions. Talk about how you read swings and the science involved. Let's just start with this week, right? It's a very emotionally charged week at the Masters. Everybody knows the golf course. Everyone's an expert on Augusta National Golf Club. I mean, you know it. You're down there. Your audience is there in Atlanta right there. Everybody there knows the golf course. They've probably been, maybe even played, maybe been fortunate enough to play. And, you know, I feel like there's so many entities out there that say, oh, well, you know, Tiger's got to win this week, or Brooks has to win this week, or it has to be Rom or this or whatever. And I say, well, why? You know, as a PGA professional, I, you know, I get involved in the science of the swing and why it works, and then maybe how that 
kind of compares and contrasts or fits with the architecture of the golf course, right? Are there a lot of right-to-left holes? Are there a lot of left-to-right holes? Um, are there a lot of uneven lies? Are there are there 100 bunkers? And is that guy a good bunker player? You know, so my approach is unique in that I look at it as like a genuine, authentic golf voice rather than someone who's just looking at an Excel spreadsheet and then, you know, comes up with a bunch of numbers and says, hey, here's my cookie cutter way of doing it. This is the person who's going to perform well. Well, you know, there's an emotional and a mental side of golf too. And I've experienced that not only as a player, as a professional, but also as a teacher over the years. I mean, I've probably taught over 10,000 hours worth of individual lessons in my career. And I still continue to teach to this day. And that's a big learning process as to how high-level elite players perform. And I take all of that and I throw it into my brain and then I come out with read the line every week. And the proven fact of the matter is is that since we started the year, we've had four outright winners. And I only pick a couple people per week to win. And we've had four outright winners. I pick ladies and men to win each week. And, you know, one of the fun ones was I go back to the farmers at Torrey. I picked Luke List to win. And he was a 90-to-1 long shot. And people say, how'd you do that? I said, well, if you want me to break it down, I could do that. But you know what? We came up with him, and it was a home run. <laughs> Indeed. And in your your uh, selections that came out in the newsletter this week, you like Tiger. Talk about why. Oh, gee. Well, um, Augusta National Golf Club is the most predictive course on the PGA Tour. And there's a couple reasons for that. Number one. It is a major championship that's played at the same course every year by the same people, essentially, in blocks of like five and ten years. So we have a really, really good predictive history of who does what well there. And even though they tend to kind of evolve the golf course, it kind of evolves with the golfers. So it's not like things are really changing much outside of the historical data that we have. And right now in the field, there is no better player at Augusta National than Tiger Woods. I mean, we we can go through it if you want, but the guy's been there 23 times, 21 times as a professional, never missed a cut, 21 tries. He's got 14 top 10. He's got 12 top fives. He's got five green jackets. All right? In that entire sample size, Chris, okay, he's got the fifth lowest scoring average of anyone that plays. Now, there's guys like John Rahm that are that are a little bit lower than him. He's only played there five times. Tiger's played there 23 times, and he's got the fifth lowest scoring average. So I think Tiger can contend for a variety of reasons, but the first thing you have to know is that the experience factor, he has checked that box off and then some. Keith, I want to get your thoughts on Tiger Woods beyond this week. Today, Jay Busby wrote a great article explaining why Tiger matters. We all know the number of eyes he brings to any tournament he shows up at, but Jay wrote this. You don't have to like Woods as a human being to respect him. You don't have to approve of the way he's lived his life to admire the way he's pursued excellence with a relentless determination. Tiger Woods the man and Tiger Woods the icon are two very different beings, and it's entirely possible to tip your cap to the legend without endorsing the man. It's okay to appreciate generational greatness, friends. It doesn't come along that often. And that's where I am, Keith. I'm struggling. He's a dominant destroyer out on the golf course, certainly a once-in-a-generation talent. 
but he's not a person that I would want my son to idolize. What are your thoughts on Tiger Woods? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but he hasn't shot anybody yet, right? We're good on that front. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, okay, yeah. Um, all right, so let me ask you a question. We'll get to Tiger in a second, right? Yep. You look at legacy, right? The People's Champion won the PGA Championship last year, right? Phil Mickelson. Yep. So right now, um, we could have the same discussion about him, and his record seemed perfect while Tiger had all of that trouble. You know, I think at the end of the day, we all face challenges in life. I mean, if the last three years have taught us all anything, it's that, you know what, there are good days and bad days. And you can string together a lot of bad days, all right? And, you know, I, I think that it's important to keep things in perspective. We tend to put these athletes and celebrities up on pedestals that aren't really all that realistic, you know? Did Tiger Woods sure. make mistakes? Yes. You know, Tiger and I are about the same age, okay? When I, and, and, you know, maybe your listeners know this, or I don't know if you talked about it earlier, but um, I knew Tiger very well. I, I worked at Isleworth Country Club from 1998 to 2003. And, you know, in that time, there were nine touring professionals there. So uh, your former guest was there, John Cook, right? He lived there. Uh, Marco Mira, Tiger Woods is one of the people, all right? And I got to know Tiger very well. And that's one of the reasons why I know he can contend this week, because he would not be there and go through the scrutiny that he knows is coming with showing up. I mean, when's the last time we, we were analyzing people's foot joy versus Nike shoes the minute they walked <laughs> on the property? Okay. Right. Now, yep. you, know, you and I, as, as golf pundits, we kind of laugh at that because like, that's just great entertainment that somebody goes to that level. But no one was worried about John Rom's shoes six months ago. Nobody was worried about Colin Morikawa's uh, jacket or something, you know, something or his haircut or anything like that. You know what I mean? But Tiger shows up and it's like, can he walk downhill? Can he walk uphill? What are his shoes like? You know, all of these factors, right? Well, all of that kind of adds to the pressure with which we put these people up on a pedestal. And I think that Tiger knows he made those mistakes. And I make the correlation between he and I in age is that we both have kids that are about the same age. And I felt like when all of that happened in 2009 around Thanksgiving, I was like, man, I was like, I'm a, I'm a tremendous Tiger fan. And that guy kind of let me down because I have kids the same age. And I can't imagine when they grow up how I would explain this to them. You know, that dad's hero was ah, probably didn't make the best decisions right there, Chris. Right. So I totally see your point. But with all that being said, let's fast forward maybe 10 years. And we have the PNC experience with his son, and we have the Hall of Fame experience with his daughter. It's obvious that he appreciates family, maybe now more than ever. He did make a mistake. All I would say is that to everyone that, you know, out there that kind of does all of this judging and everything else and, and so on and so forth, right? Let's separate sports from everything else. And let's just say, hey, if you want to root for him as an athlete, that's great. If you want to root for him as an athlete, and you want to root for him, continue his comeback from 2009 and some of the other issues that he's faced in his career? Well, I think that that's good, too. If you don't, just remember, it's pretty quick to fall. Six months ago, Phil Mickelson was on the top of the golfing world, and now we can't find him. So I think it's hard sometimes for some of these athletes. We've seen all the best of them go through it. Michael George, to name another person. Right. They've they've all had their falls from grace. And um, we certainly do love a redemption story. 
And it could be something similar to like Jordan Spieth at San Antonio last year, or even what Tiger Woods is doing now or in 2019. So I, I try to keep an open mind on all that stuff. Um, I am biased. I spent five years of my life, my formative years there, my 20s, with Tiger very close, learning about him, his preparation, his work ethic. Um, I think at the end of the day, he's applied his work ethic on the golf course to his life, and I think we can all kind of see that the results have changed things a little bit, and I think that's great. Keith, I want to go back with you in, in Masters history. Is there a favorite Masters memory that you'd like to look back on each year? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, that's a great question. I love this one. Um, it's not necessarily the playing of the Masters, um, but there's a tie into the guy we were just talking about. Um, I'm a PGA professional, and, you know, that gives me the right to be able to go or whatever. But at the time that I worked at Iowa, we had certain connections to be able – we had a, a couple of members that were members of Augusta National, and that helped me out. And um, in 2001, I had the opportunity to take my dad to Augusta National for the Masters. And um, any son and father that golf together, you know, I mean, you can't think of a better gift to give your dad than to take him to the Masters. So we went to the Masters, and we we attended and we're there, and we're on one of the practice round days, and, we, you know, we're over in the mass of people that is following Tiger Woods. And at that point in my life, it's in the middle of my tenure there at Isleworth. And he's walking down a chute from what was the, the old short game practice area, which was much smaller than it is now. Um, through a shoot of people that's, you know, I don't know, 10 deep, right? But we, I worked my way up to the rope because I said, you know what, in like 10, 20, 15 minutes, he's going to walk up this way and I want to say hi to him and just see if I can get him to recognize me because I had my father with me. So I was like, I'm like yanking him up through the crowd. And as it is, Tiger packs up his things and he starts walking towards the practice putting green, which is right there behind the 10th and first tees. And as he's walking by, I go, hey, T, hour, like that. And he stops and he like looks. Now he usually has that like really vapid look on his face like he's just in a vacuum and he's like you know he's got blinders on um as he goes down the fairway and he kind of stops and he, and he scans the crowd and he sees me now it's a practice round day right and he's like he's like hey he's like Keith how you doing I said good I said Can you do me a quick favor and he's like what do you want me to do and I was like could you meet my dad and I like pull my dad up right and I was like hey uh, and he was like he's like hi how are you doing I'm Tiger and I'm like this is my father Keith and uh, of course my name is Keith also and Tiger goes, well, that'll be easy. He's like, nice to meet you, Keith. Right? Like that. And my dad, like, shook his hand. And then Tiger started walking away. I said, have a good practice round. He said, all right, I'll see you next week. You know, meeting back at the club where he lived. And then he walked away. And then, like, to this day, my dad's still like, I'll never forget his face. He was like, that was Tiger Woods. <laughs> and he knew my son. And he was just like, you know what I mean? Like, father to son. You know, sons always are trying to live up to the expectations of their dad. You know, in good ways and bad. Right? But, like. In that moment, like, he was, like, my dad was, like, totally speechless. And uh, I'll never forget that. So as far as Masters memories go, um, I've been to a couple, and um, I've, obviously I've watched them all. But um, there's nothing that beats that for me. Keith, how great was it for Jennifer Cupcho and the LPGA for her to win a major championship almost two years to the day since she won the Augusta National Women's Amateur? Well, I'm so happy you bring up the LPGA because I cover them from a golf betting perspective week in and week out on Read the Line. And I love it because the stories of the LPGA, I mean, there's so many good players there right now at the top of the heat. And Jennifer being one of them as an upstart that came up after she won the inaugural 
uh, Anwa, and then she came on tour, and then she hadn't won yet, and then she won the weekend of. I mean, the parallels are super unique and fun, but I follow the LPGA intimately every week, and there's just so many great stories there. I mean, Chris, I, I would throw the question back at you. Is there a better time for golf right now? I mean, just look at this weekend. You have the, the inaugural ANWA winner, winner first tournament, which is a major, on the weekend of the ANWA, which is won by a 16-year-old who's left-handed, right? Tiger Woods returns. You have the drive, chip, and putt in the middle. And then, of course, you have what is about to take place tomorrow. I mean, this is like Christmas Eve for adults right now. You know, I tomorrow is the day. We get to open up. We get to open up the present on masters.com and, you know, it's on the range with, you know, with Brian Kroll. And then we're, you know, we're off on the feature groups with, you know, all the rest of the people calling it. And I, I tell you, I mean, I, I think every week there's another amazing story. I mean, you cover it with this fantastic show. Obviously, think about so we have nine first time winners on the PGA tour this year and we have three out of seven events on the LPGA tour since the year started. I mean, that's, that's, it's like there's all these amazing things. You know, I was looking at something. This is kind of a cool thing. You'll appreciate this. So I was I was putting together some stuff for Read the Line last week, and I, I love to do a deep dive and to come up with a narrative of what's going to happen. And one of the things I believed was going to happen in San Antonio was that five out of the last six years, the person who won was someone who needed to win in order to get into the Masters. Now, the only one that wasn't was Jordan Spieth a year ago. But the other five years before that, it was somebody who needed to get in, right? So I thought, well, Rory's there, Bryson's there, Jordan's there. I said, they'll do their thing, but they're thinking about next week. There's no doubt about that. And if you want to win on the PGA Tour, it's hard. You have to be focused on what you're doing. Now, who needed to get in the Masters? Matt Kuchar? Where was, what was he doing in San Antonio? Contending, right? You know? And then J.J. Spawn jumps up there, and he gets to go in. So six out of the last seven years, Somebody has had to fight their way to get into the Masters. I mean, we just have these cool stories every single week. It's just, to me, golf is in such a great place. I'm a PGA professional. My life is involved in just, you know, not just growing the game, but like getting people to be golfers and to appreciate it and to be entertained by it like you and I are so much. And Keith, speaking of growing the game, and you've won several awards during your career as a PGA professional, but PGA Professional of the Year? I didn't get any bigger than that in the New Jersey section. Talk about what it was like being recognized by your peers that way. Oh, um, I mean, uh, you know, I'm seldom at a loss for words, but I was when I got that phone call. Because like so many men and women uh, that work tirelessly side by side, like all my colleagues in the PGA of America and the volunteers and the officials and everything, we just love the game and we, and we give to it because it has given us so much back and you put your head down and you try to do the best you can. And you're not really thinking about being recognized for anything. You just, you do it because you love it. And to get a phone call like that where people, cause I mean, love me or hate me on me. And I, I do things, uh, in a lot of ways, Chris, and you know this about me because we've been friends, but, um, I'm a little bit outside the box and you know, golf, is known forever as uh, Navy Blue Blazers and Ivory Towers at the USGA. You know what I mean? And, and the rules and, and strict guidelines and restrictions and, and all of these other things. And um, I'm just not one of those people. You know, I, I was a traditional golf pro with a contemporary mindset. 
So when I got the call that I was golf professional of the year, that to me was like the greatest piece of validation that all the crazy things that I've ever done to try to change the narrative around the game in the Northeast, you know, the conservative golf Northeast. I don't mean that in a red blue way. I just mean that in a, there's a lot of private clubs up here that are very old and places that I'd worked and, you know, they had very traditional thinking and to try to change that culture and to get people to have more fun in a top golf sense of golf, rather than just the strict, you know, always the same competitions and formats and so on and so forth and introduce more children and, and women and families into the game and definitely more fun. Um, it was just cool. It was just the coolest thing in the world. And, uh, you know, my folks were there and I have, I have an older sibling that was there. My wife was there and, uh, you know, it's just, it all takes a village, man. And, uh, to have all those people there that helped shape me and, um, allowed me to be the, the, um, the human, the thoughtful human being I am today, you know, nothing better, man. Just nothing better. Keith, you do a great radio show called The Pro Show, and I was honored to be a part of it last fall. Meant a, meant a great deal to me. Um, talk about your show and the things that you talk about there. So, goes along with the last question. Um, I was your classic head golf professional um, at a wonderful club called Springdale Golf Club in Princeton, New Jersey. 1895, 120-something years old. And I just was always looking for new and interesting ways to communicate with my members. And uh, lo and behold, that led me to going to the radio and telling more stories about golf and spreading the word about what was going on at the club and communicating with people and celebrating the winners of the club. And then next thing you know, it evolved into I was getting guests on the show and, and it just kind of took on a life of its own. And now for plus years later, um, you know, we have all sorts of interesting personalities on there, like yourself, or uh, like last year for Mother's Day, we had Annika on. Um, a couple years ago, we had Gary Player on. It was like one of my favorite shows ever was Gary Player because I got him to sing. And a lot of people don't know this. So like one of the, one of the things I love to do as a human being, Chris, is I love puzzles. I love to figure out puzzles. When I was a kid, my dad used to lay out like those 5,000 piece puzzles on the dining room table and he would go work on them from time to time throughout like a week, two weeks or whatever. And I would always kind of jump in during the day when I got home from school and I would put pieces in. And, you know, I just love figuring those things out. And, it, you know, so I was doing research on Gary Player and I found out that in 1970, he released a recording album, okay, that he liked music that much. So we started playing a bunch of music on the show, which you know I love to do. And next thing you know, Gary says, hey, could, you, could your producer get this song or whatever for me? And I said, oh, we'll, we'll get it. And, I, and my producer's kind of waving me on and he's saying, he's like, just get him talking. I'll find it. I'll find it. So we're going, we're going. Like two minutes later, he's like, I got the song. So he starts playing the song. Next thing you know, Gary starts singing, right? Wow. And this is Gary Player. He's 85 years old and he's singing. Um, this was like 2019 Thanksgiving show. It was un believable it was so much fun and to me you people always ask me like what do you do on your show i said we celebrate golf okay uh like 2010 if you think back to then there was that famous ted talk with simon Sinek, where he talked about why statements right versus the what and my why statement for being a pga professional is i always want to change the narrative around the game you know i always want to change the storyline and i went to the radio in order to talk to as many people as I can, to scream from the mountaintops, to tell them 
what an exciting, fun, valuable, rewarding, you know, emotionally charged, electric, you know, just amazing game that golf is. And that was just like one of the super highlight moments. Like we've had all sorts of great people, like the CEO of TaylorMade, David Abley, or um, one of my favorite ones was um, the guy who developed Whoop, Will Ahmed. I mean, that was like a really, that fitness wearable, that guy was like transcendent the way that he spoke. It was like talking to Steve Jobs when he was 30. It was so cool. And we've had tour players like a John Cook or an Andrew McGee or, or guys like that. And then we've had all sorts of personalities in golf like yourself that really, I mean, if not for people like you and what you do and your reach and you making the game more humanizing and, and fun and, you know, like authentic at the end of the day. I mean, that's, that's really the spirit behind Read the Line, Chris, is that I wanted to humanize golf betting because everybody does it and it's safe now and it's online and it's regulated and you can only bet what you put into the site. You can't go to a bookie and bet $10,000 you don't have. They won't do that, right? You can only bet what's in there. So it's fun now. It's entertainment. It's a form of like you and your friends can get together and have a pool and, and or a league or something like that. And week in and week out, and you can spend more time engaged in the game. I mean, when my wife comes down the hall and asks me how Taylor Gooch is playing golf, I'm like, my wife shouldn't even know who Taylor Gooch is. But she does <laughs> because because she might have him in DraftKings. And she's like, I know you're looking at scores. What is he? At? You know, like, that's great for golf, you know? Or she might ask, you know, she's like, did Jin Young Ko shoot in the 60s again? And I'm like, she did. She's like, isn't that like 31 times in a row? And I'm like, I don't know. It's like 100 times in a row, really. But like, you know, I mean, those types of stories happen all over the country. And I'm just trying to bring people together and, you know, kind of capture the power of that moment and then spread it all over with, you know, with my PGA touch. And it doesn't get better than that. I can't, I can't, there's not another question. There's not another way to cap our conversation better than the way you just framed it up right there, Keith. Let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, find you online, find you on the radio, and also find you on social media? Well, let's just start where we started. You got to go to readtheline.com. There's a free version of the newsletter, and there's a premium member version. Do what you want. Start with the free. You'll love it. The outright picks are on there. There's some stories in there. There's always a great narrative. I love to write. And then if you get hooked, don't blame me. Or if you win, you can blame me. But you're going <laughs> to sign up. And, you know, you're going to sign up for the premium version. Have fun with that. You can find me writing all the time, coaching pieces on PGA.com, BPGA.com for the PGA of America. Um, this week, I'll be writing round recaps for the whole, for every day of the Masters, but I, I'm there three to four times a week. You can find them, the articles under my byline. And then, of course, every Friday afternoon at 3 p.m., there is the pro show with Keith Stewart on ESPN 9:20 a.m. and I have a new one for you, Chris. I've got oh. a new one for you. Even okay. even you don't know about this yet, all right? Okay. So this week we started a new relationship I did with a company called Bet Online and they signed me to do a golf betting show, a 30-minute show. My co-host is Chantel McCabe, formerly of the Golf Channel and now with SiriusXM and PGA Tour Live. And the two of us break down the week ahead on the PGA Tour and golf betting. And uh, it just started this week with the Masters. No better way to kick it off. And you'll have us next week for the Heritage. And we're covering all the major golf tournaments between now and the FedEx Cup. And you can find it on Bet Online. You can also follow me on Twitter, 
at read the line underscore, or you can follow me on Instagram. I love TikTok. I put up a rap today in honor of the masters. Yes, a little hip hop for myself. Um, I did a little Beastie Boys rap in order to kick things <laughs> off for Masters Week and have a lot of fun. I mean, you know me, Chris. I'm, I am, uh, I am a, uh, I am, I'm a select vintage for sure. So, um, <laughs> we're having, a, we're, we're having a good time. And, um, so you can find me all over the place and, uh, I love people to interact with me. Um, obviously folks, you can tell I have a lot of passion, just like the guy on the other end of this interview. I mean, nobody has more passion for the game. And nobody is more grateful for what the game and the people have given him than you, uh, Christmas Cara. I can't thank you enough for what you do. I mean, you are the man. I mean, you bring so many wonderful people together and tell their stories in such an eloquent and wonderful fashion. I mean, the way you celebrate the game, I wish all people would. I appreciate you saying that. That means a whole lot to me. I don't think I, I can ever top what Keith Stewart just brought to the end of this show. I mean, that's, that's some classic stuff that's going to remain, uh, probably one of the top, one of the top segments that I've been a part of and that our listeners got to listen in on in the history of this show. I can't thank you enough oh, for coming and sharing your thoughts, your insights, your passion and your energy with our listeners tonight. Top notch, my friend. Can I ask you one quick question? You sure can. Who wins this week? My thought, who wins this week? Yeah. I tell you what, you you talk about redemption. We talked about that a little bit ago. What I want to see happen and what I am pulling for is Jordan Spieth to win. What I think happens is is Justin Thomas gets the win. I think he has picked Tiger's brain enough. I think they have played enough practice rounds together. I think think JT is on the inside with Tiger. I think he's probably the only player on tour that Tiger would actually you know, kind of give pointers to and talk about strategy and all those sorts of things. And obviously JT is, this isn't his first go around at Augusta National. I think he kind of puts all of that together and he gets a big win. Hey, he's been there six times, made six cuts. He's got the perfect game for it, but he has a secret weapon, Chris. So I definitely agree with you. I love your pick. There's somebody on the bag that's got three Masters titles already. And I think that is your X factor that pushes him across the finish line. So I love JT as a pick, and I hope it works out for you. I hope so, too. Good luck. And you know, from my lips to God's ears, I hope JT gets, uh, JT gets a big win. I'd, I'd love to celebrate that come Sunday evening. My friend, I can't thank you enough for being a part of this show tonight. You're outstanding. You're probably the best in the business. And I'm not saying that just because you're on the other end of the microphone and you're listening in, and not because you had me on your show last fall. I've listened to a ton of your shows. They are informative, they are fun, and they are full of energy. And those are three things that the golfing world has needed and you have brought to the sport in the number of years you've been a part of it. I can't thank you enough for doing what you do. Thank you, Chris. It means the world to me to be with you this evening on such a special week. Take care, Keith. All the best to you and your family. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again soon. Yeah, we got to do another home and home. All right. So, Tag, I'm it. You're on my show. Sometime in the next month or two, we're going to have some fun, okay? Look forward to it. Thank you so much. Take care. See you, Keith. Again, that's the great Keith Stewart and the shows, The Pro Show, which you guys can find on 920ESPNNewJersey.com, or if you're in the New Jersey area, listen to 920AM ESPN Radio. Read the line. 
folks, if you're not already out there subscribing to that, I don't know what's happened. Maybe, maybe your, your internet is down. Something's blocking your way. But if you're not beating a path to get that thing, I don't know what else to tell you. Cause Keith is outstanding. And the way that he told you how he comes up with his winners, I mean, the science behind it and the things that he is looking at and the data analysis involved. Boy, you're just, you're just, you're just, you're depriving your bank account, my friend, if you haven't gone out there and done that. So he is fantastic. And I'm looking forward to checking out bet, you know, bet, you know, the bet online fees. That's even better. It takes it just to the next level. Keith's an outstanding human being, folks. I love his energy and his positivity. And we look forward to having him back on the show again soon. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks go out to Rob Strano, John Cook, and Keith Stewart for joining me tonight. Please check out our guest schedule online by going to nextonthetea.net. Scheduled to join me next week, a great friend of the show, one of the top 100 instructors in the game, Eric Johnson, is going to be back. It's always a fun episode when Eric's a part of it. Former PGA Tour Pro and now one of the best broadcasters in the business, Frank Nabila, will be back with me. As well, our good friend John Patrick from the Augusta Golf Show. No better way to wrap up the Masters Week than having John Patrick as a part of the show. So looking uh, looking forward to having him here. And then we'll round out the show with the first female president of the PGA of America, Susie Whaley, will be making a return appearance here on Next on the T. So it's going to be a great show, folks. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can listen to this show as a podcast on just about every major podcasting app like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast.co, Audioboom, Player.fm, Podbean. If you have a favorite podcasting app and you're not sure if we're on it, just go to the search bar, type in next on the T. We're probably on there as well. Folks, I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show tonight. I know you've got a lot of golf podcasts to choose from. I'm very thankful that you're making next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.